All right. Hello. Um, welcome back to the Mind the Gap podcast, where we specifically speak to people in the space, building healthcare solutions for black and brown communities. Today, I am joined by another wonderful guest, and I will allow Natalie to introduce herself. So firstly, hello, Natalie, and we would love to hear more about you. Hi, so yeah, um, how do I start this one? Well, basically, I was a corporate web designer. So I basically was a web designer at different banks in central London. And then I just decided that I just wanted to kind of just work for myself after the birth of my first child. So I just kind of wanted to have kind of like that lifestyle balance kind of thing. But in the process of doing that, I started to get these pains in both eyes. And I'm that type of person that I just kind of ignore it. Just want to take paracetamol and just carry on with my day kind of thing. I never like really going to the doctors unless I really have to. And then I guess it was, I think it was in between Christmas and the new year, 2015, 2016. I started having like, the pain started to get a bit worse overnight. So when I woke up, I didn't realize it at the time. I knew something was not quite right with my right eye. But I don't really what it was. But because the pain had gone, I just went about my day. But I remember, um, I think there was something in my, I think it was my left eye. So I just wanted to take something out from it. But I realized that I could feel that my right eye was open. But then I realized everything was in darkness. I couldn't see anything. So then I held my left eye like this and tried to open my right eye. And my partner was saying, well, your right eye is open. But I, said, I can't see anything. So that's when I realized, okay, I need to go and see someone. So I went to see my GP. My GP referred me to St. George's Hospital, my local hospital in Tutti. And there's an eye clinic called Moorfields. They weren't too sure what was going on, but they just kind of gave me a few tests every week and just let it ride out. So I was literally blind in one eye for about three months. So when it was okay, the eye doctor said, okay, I wasn't really happy with that. So I'm going to send you to neurology. That's when I started laughing because I thought, okay, that's ridiculous. Neurology is for people who have brain injuries. I don't need to go there. So he was trying to explain to me that what happened with my eye is that it's connected to the brain, the optic nerve. So that's to do with neurology. They just want to double check if everything is okay. So I went to my appointment. I saw a general neurologist and I think my sister and my daughter came with me at the time. And she basically said, okay, what we need to do is give you an MRI scan and see what's going on. But I said, well, my eye is fine. There's no pain. I can see. And then I went to do an MRI scan. I got my letter and everything. And I found out I was pregnant. So I told the neurologist and she said, we can do the head scan, not the full body one, because they don't know how it affects an unborn child. So I did the head MRI scan. And then about two weeks later, I came back for the result. And she told me that it might be something called multiple sclerosis. And I just burst into tears. Like I was with like my sister and my daughter again at the time. I didn't even know what it was. I just started crying because it didn't sound good. I've never heard of it before. But she said, oh, not to panic because it might be. We don't know. So it could be something else that we can sort out. Or it might be MS, but we'll wait and we'll see. Once your child is born, then we'll do that. So I went through my pregnancy thinking it wasn't the other thing. So I gave birth to my son September 2016. Strangely enough, as I was in the delivery suite, a lady came from neurology and she's like, oh, don't forget about the scheduled appointments. Remember, we need to check if, you know, you have MS. Then another lady came and said, oh, would you mind donating the blood from, I think she said, the uh, placenta or something like that, or the 
umbilical cord. So I think for a blood for the, I think, premature babies. And I said, okay, that's fine. And she said, oh, but do you have any conditions we should know about? And I said, well, they're going to test me for MS. I don't like multiple sclerosis. So I'm not sure if I have it yet. So she said she'll be in touch. So when I, I uh, think it was November 2016, there was a different neurologist this time and an MS nurse. And I didn't think, like, okay, why are these two in the room? So they sat me down and they said, I was holding my son at the time. And they were saying to me that, yeah, we're really sorry, but you've got multiple sclerosis. And we're going to have to move quite quickly. Because before I met them, I did the test, the other test. And they compared that MRI scan at the beginning of the year to the one, like, after I'd given birth. And they could see that the lesions on my brain had spread quite quickly. And there was some on the spine. But they weren't sure whether those ones were there already because I couldn't have a full body one at the time. So they said, I know this is a lot to take in, but we really need to start getting you onto some kind of treatment. So I had to kind of move quite quickly. So I was in shock. I didn't know if it was serious. They told me that there's no cure for it yet. And I think that's when it hit me like, you know, I literally told them I don't have time for MS. I've got too many things to do. I've just given birth. I've got two kids now. I don't have time for it. Can you just give me something to just get rid of it? Just them just trying to explain. They wanted to hug me. I think I wanted a hug, but then I moved away. It was just a really awkward kind of like moment at the time. I told my mum about it. And I think that's what hurt the most because my mum raised me and my sister by herself. My dad lives in Ghana. So he left when I was about one. And it's kind of like my mum is the one who always fixes everything. There's issues at school or anything like that. She'd always fix it. But this one she couldn't fix. And I think I kind of felt sorry for my mum in a way because it's like a year before I was diagnosed, my sister was diagnosed with another autoimmune disease, which is lupus. So I think she kind of, as an African mother, I don't know, she thought that maybe it was supernatural. You know, it was something else. She didn't understand. But one of the things I was happy about is the fact that she had her faith. She held on to that and she was there to support. To be honest, it was just a whirlwind. It was a well, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what was going on. I had to, I wanted to choose like a low level kind of treatment. They gave me all these pamphlets and leaflets. I was picking like the tablets, but they told me that I kind of misunderstood because the way it was spreading, I had to have a highly effective treatment. So I had to have one of the infusions. So I had to choose between two infusions. And I chose the one that didn't seem like I had to go in every month. But unfortunately, when I chose that one, meant I had to stop breastfeeding because it was kind of like a medium level kind of chemotherapy type treatment. So I took that one and from there on, it's just been and just a crazy journey. My MS became very active. Then it became, I started getting the letters saying that it becomes more severe, started relapsing, ended up in hospital many times. And yeah, I've come to this stage right now. I've just had the stem cell transplant December, 2021. That's calmed everything down. So I'm just at that stage now where my body's just kind of healing. My MS has calmed down just like a little bit. So yeah, that's where I am at, at the moment. Yeah, there's a lot to kind of unpack and all of that. And I was yeah. about to get to the crux of some of the things. But I think we should probably start off by, in your own definition, what is MS yeah. for somebody who doesn't understand what it mm. is? So basically, MS is an autoimmune disease. It's progressive. And basically, it's a disease that kind of, it turns your body against you in some way. Because it's like, 
it tells your body that your central, because it attacks the central nervous systems, that's your brain and your spine. So it basically tells your body that those are foreign things. So the white blood cells are supposed to be protecting you. Um, they're, they're defenses that are in your immune system. Instead of um, seeing it as something to be protected, it starts attacking. So whilst it starts attacking, it starts attacking the nerves. There's this thing called, I think it's like a substance on the nerves called like a, I think it's myelin, they call it that, like a, a substance on the nerve and it starts to eat away at it. So then the nerve fibers are now exposed. So all the connections from your brain to the rest of your body, you know, they get messed up and that causes a lot of disability, a lot of pain and things like that. And I remember yeah. when we learned to like the myelin um, that we're talking about around the neck was almost like into like wearing a coat and so the coat around the nerve cell. And if you remove the coat while someone's standing out in the cold, it's like you're just exposed. And I think it's yeah. something that I haven't really heard of many people talking about multiple sclerosis, especially from a bit of view of people in our community. At least I've yeah. learned about MS and like the case studies that we've had. Typically, I think you're probably the first person I've ever come across from our community speaking yeah. about MS. Have you found any challenges with navigating MS and speaking to other people in the community, other people? It is, to be honest with you, it is, if I go from my family, I've actually, when I say lost, it's a bit weird when I say lost because it, some people associate it with death. But with my, a lot of my family members, like aunties, uncles and cousins, they've actually stopped speaking to me because I've been so open about talking about it in our family. And I've noticed a lot of black communities, we don't like speaking about illnesses. It's like, you don't even know someone had an illness, unfortunately, until it's a funeral. It's just like, when did Uncle Jeremy, like, have cancer, you know? No one talks about it at all. So I think, um, I think my mum found it a bit like, oh, God, why did she have to, you know, speak about it? But I think she knew that that's the type of personality I was. I was always getting in trouble because when you're younger in an African home, you don't ask questions. I was always that child that was asking a question I wasn't supposed to be asking. So even though my aunties, uncles, they don't speak to me. In fact, actually, there was a... One of my aunties, I saw her um, a few months ago, I think it was like February, and I saw her in town. I just waved to her and she literally just crossed the road like she had, she didn't even know me. So it's just one of those things. And some of my friends who didn't understand what was going on because I look so well, but no one knows what's going on. That's the annoying thing about MS, like you don't always see the symptoms and it has been hard to communicate, you know, and especially like some of my relatives are Africans and English is not their first language. So trying to explain it, even pronounce it, is even difficult. Like, what is that? You know, go to your room, God will get rid of it, you know, pray it away kind of thing. So in the community, no one really speaks about it. So when I come out and speak about it, people say, oh my God, what is that? You know, and it's usually associated with white people because it was seen, sorry, <clears throat> it was seen as a white person's disease. I think it was a French neurologist that first came up with the term MS. So it was always seen like that. So black people were never included in medical research. And that's another reason why I want to get us talking about it more, because there's been some studies that are showing that a lot of black people even get it more than white people, especially black women, are more likely to get MS more and even more aggressively. Like I spoke to a neurologist, quite one of the top neurologists, and he said to me that he knows that there is like a few genes in Black and Asian people that makes MS quite aggressive in some of us, but there needs to be more research on it. 
And then that was it, full stop. And that's the thing that gets on my nerves is the full stop. Like, what do we do now? And it, most of the time it's like, oh, you know, we should do more to get research into Black and Asian. You know, we should do more. We should. Okay, we should. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, I don't even mind if the moving is slow so far as we're moving and just explaining it. So I think my organization is something that is quite tough because Black people do face a lot of discrimination. I've noticed about the community that I look after. They give me some awful stories about how their doctors have treated them. They would rather be in pain with their MS. And MS can be really, really painful than go to see someone. And that is me the reason why we are diagnosed quite late. Black people are usually diagnosed quite late because of that, because we don't speak about it. So it's been very difficult, to be honest. And what role would you say that when you say that we need to move forward and almost get more research, is that a problem which is on the side of almost like the patients and the community? Or is that a problem which is more so the medical professional needs to kind of catch up and get an understanding? At first, I thought it's mainly the community because if they're not talking about it, then I can see they'll never participate. But when I did my first kind of community event um, with my nonprofit, I, I noticed that um, I got a neurologist who um, is looking into a study called the Adam study. And it kind of like, he's trying to get more black and Asian people onto this study. So he can kind of test their genetic to see how it affects mess and how all of that kind of goes on. When he came to my event and he was explaining it, there was a lot of guests there who said, okay, I want to get that info. I want to be part of the study. So it wasn't like they didn't want to. They just don't know where to go. And to be honest, that neurologist said that he's been finding it difficult. There's some Asian people who do come along, but he's found it very difficult that, uh, to find black people to actually participate in it. Um, but then I asked him, like, where do you go to find these people? And if he's just in the same place in his hospital, you're not going to find them. You, are you going into those areas? Are you going into those places where black people usually are? So he said, well, I have to admit, no, I haven't been going there. But, you know, I tried to get in touch with some of these organizations to see if they can get their people on board and get more black people coming on board. So I think it's more like they would participate. Well, I think it's more like the word we should say enroll. When we say participate, it makes it seem like maybe they're saying no to it, whether enrollment is like, oh, I would like to get onto that. I don't know much about it, but, you know, I'm interested. The more I talk about it, the more people hear about it, they want to get involved. I'm starting to feel like it's more shifting towards the NHS side because if you're working on something, why should this be the case? Why isn't there enough research into black and brown people? I don't understand. You know, obviously these things need funding. Why isn't there funding? Does that, I, I'm, I'm trying to look more into it. Um, I'm trying to get involved into some of these research organizations and see if I can do something to, you know, you know, even if it's a partnership, just to go out there and try and get more black people with MS to get on board. Because actually I'm working with the UK MS register, the people on that one and 17,000, they told me 17,000 people are on the register, which is still quite low. If you think about 130,000 plus people in the UK, it's way more than that have MS. But 17,000 have all signed up to the register and only 34, which is including me, 34 of Black Heritage. It kind of says a lot. MS Charities as well. 
there's not a lot of black people engaging in the charities. I went to the MS walk last year. I could hardly see that many black people there. It's just, I don't know. I mean, even the MS society, MS trust, they've all come to me and they've said, what can we do to make it more inclusive for, you know, for black and brown people's MS? They've asked me. And even the UK MS register said, you know, they're looking at their own internal organization. How can they reach out more to black and brown people to get them on board? So I don't know whether it's the, we don't know how to do it. So this is why we rather stick to what we know kind of thing. But there seems to be a gap everywhere, a gap of trying to educate the community to do, you know, come on board, show them where these, where the research is. But at the same time, you've got the NHS who are just like, yeah, we need to do that. But for whatever reason, there's no priority to do it. But they know mm. it's a priority. I was actually invited to something with King's College and they're trying to, they had like a steering group of what they need to do to get more black and brown people into research. And they had so many different black organizations. They came very angry, to be honest, because they thought this meeting was going to be about sharing ideas of how to move forward rather than another meeting asking again, black people, what we can do. Like we've been through this so many times, maybe we've told you what to do. Now we're in another meeting. Now you want to know more again. So it's like, what is going on kind of thing. We just, I, I feel like I'm in the middle of two different things, trying to bridge that gap, that trust gap between black people and the NHS, trying to educate the community to do more research, come together and speak up a bit more about it. But I mean, that's why I keep campaigning. I mean, it's, so far, I just feel like so far I'm moving, someone's got to do it. Like you said, even still, there's a few people that I know in the community that are trying to make a light of it. But I always feel like with me, I just feel we've been waiting too long. And I feel like we should just be moving now, to be honest. Mm -hmm. and for those people who maybe are listening to this and they don't understand the importance of having Black people or people of African heritage or even Caribbean heritage as part of these groups, what would you say to them? Like someone might argue that actually, why do I specifically need to be there? Like if there is just general MS information, surely I can take from that. I think, um, the point of this is that, um, we need to get more involved in research because it's all about our health. We could be, um, if you have MS and you're of black heritage, you could be taking medication that is not even for you. Black people, we absorb salt differently. We absorb sugar differently. Our biology is different. So if you're, it's just like, I, for, my MS was very aggressive. I, if not for the stem cell transplant, I don't think me and you would be having this conversation. It would have been much worse and I believe I would have been bed bound. But why was it aggressive? How do I know that it had nothing to do with the medication that I was taking? How do I not know that I haven't got one of those genes that the neurologist was talking about? We need to know all this important stuff about ourselves because if we ignore our health, we'll be in a situation where Ill. we'll be faced with it without a choice. I know it's difficult to speak up. I'm not saying that people should go to the extreme of going online, sharing it there, but just surround your family and community. I know people that haven't even told their family members they have MS because they don't want to tell them about it. They don't want them to look at them differently. But when a lady, I think she said she hasn't told, she's had MS for four years. But when she came to my event, my sister spoke about, you know, having family around you and stuff like that, it encouraged her to go and speak to her family because you need that support. 
And one of the things I told my auntie before she stopped talking to me, I said to her, if you, I was in your care and Emma's can do this to you, you can actually, it just comes out of the blue. It's so unpredictable. If I was unconscious and you called the ambulance, would you know what medication I take? Would you know the name or even the condition I have? She couldn't answer any of those questions. So it's all about, you know, educating the people around you. It's not everyone. You have to do this for yourself. You have to do this for your community. I think we've come to a point where almost we don't have the choice to choose between whether you want to talk or not, because this affects everyone and we need to know what's going on with us. We really do, because a lot of these researchers, most of them are white. They're not going to come knocking on your door and say, oh, it's that time again. You have to come do your research. They're not going to do it. In fact, I always believe that it kind of suits them. Less funding into looking into something else. They can just get on and do what they know what to do. So we really need to help ourselves, to be honest. And from a research point of view, I know one of the issues that has almost been from listening to other people and our community speak is people will say stuff like, want to engage with X charity working on X condition. However, when I looked at their communications, when I look at all the stuff they put out, when I look at the way they reach out, it's always tailored to one group of people. And I go on the website, mm. for instance, let's say Cystic Fibrosis UK. And I mm. cannot see a single thing on the website, which makes me think that actually maybe I'm supposed to be on this website. And people say yeah. that they almost feel isolated that even if they wanted mm. to engage, like they find it difficult to engage. Is this something that you've maybe experienced engaging with like the different organizations in the space? Yeah, but at the beginning, I actually thought that I was misdiagnosed. Because like MS, like no one talks about it. And when you look online, you just have to Google it. And all you see is white people connected to it. I've done like a whole list of like places on the media, articles, you know, news reports. Anytime they're talking about MS, there's a white person involved. No one's talking to Asians. No one's talking to black people at all. And it's strange because MS actually affects black women so much more. So really, our faces really should be on there. But unless it's, you know, black maternal health or it's sickle cell, donating blood. I mean, I reached out to a journalist and I told her about, you know, putting more light on the black community. And she said, look, I don't think they're interested in black people, multiple sclerosis. It's not something that the media want to hear. So that's another thing as well. We just don't have any of those things, even the charities. I mean, that's why they came to me. They realized that they, they have an issue with that. But I, I just said it how it was. I said, well. To be honest, I know that the MS Society, they have a parliamentary group. They have that kind of influence and they also have like journalists as well. And even one time there's a lady at the MS Society that tried to get my story because I think they were talking about the stem cell transplant. They, they tried to get my story on the news about it, but it didn't see the light of day. And it was embarrassing for the lady because she's a white lady and she was going to every single outlet media outlet and coming back and in the end she just said oh well we can put you in our magazine it was just like one of those things and then a lady from um a charity called what's her name i think they're called ames charity they're like the only uh stem cell charity in the uk they said oh your story is pretty inspiring because um a lot of people don't get to have it on the nhs and you did so would you be okay to speak to one of our journalists? I said, yeah, that's fine. Any opportunity to get our faces on there? I said, okay, why not? 
So a journalist called me up and then she started to hear about my story and everything. Again, it didn't see the light of day, but the same journalist went to, I think the lady who owns the charity, she has a husband who has MS. They got all their cameras, went to their house and started filming, you know, his story. Because it, to them, it's just like, if they were to look, black people, MS, it doesn't fit. But the funny thing is, research shows we are the one that it affects the most. But the thing is, if we're not talking about it, we're not coming forward about it. No one is going to say anything. So it's just with me, I think it was more like no one, I haven't seen anyone speaking from our community about it that much. And even, I mean, uh, white people, they have uh, Selma Blair. At the moment, they've got Christina Applegate. I think Jack Osborne came out, spoke about it. We have like two British black athletes who have it. And they're not really that active with speaking about it. Uh, one of them is in terms of like when it bothers her, she speaks about it. But there's one only recently she did something for the Emma's Trust to talk about it, but it's not as active. So people still don't associate us with MS. So it's something that is still kind of like a niche. So when I talk to people about it, they're just amazed that, you know, and such an organization like our one exists because no one is speaking of it. And what role do you think media has to play in us speaking about it? Um, and by media, I mean like the news outlets or these journalists that you're talking to. Do you think if they champion stories like yours a bit more, that it starts like a flywheel effect or is the media a completely separate entity? I think it will have like a really big effect if the media put a light on it because it's like, when you see yourself on there, seeing is believing. And it's just like, you don't want to feel like you're the only one. And that's how it feels sometimes. I literally thought I was the only black person that has emits in the whole world. America actually doing quite well with um, having a presence there. They have black neurologists, black doctors. And that's another thing. We don't have many black neurologists as well. So it's just like when you're having this discrimination from your own medical team, you're not seeing yourself on TV. You're not seeing yourself represented in image charities. I mean. Do you really want to be that one black person that's out there by yourself talking that someone had to come forward? You need to see more. And I see that with uh, mainly with black people until we see ourselves more somewhere, we would rather keep quiet, you know, and we're already in a culture where, you know, illness is seen like a weakness. We want to impress our friends and especially men, men have it too, not as much as black women, but they have it. But a lot of the men that I interviewed, they were like, well, it's the whole kind of, they don't want people saying, oh, man up. And, you know, this is nothing. It's that kind of feeling like you're weak. No one wants to be like that. And I think it's more like allowing yourself to be vulnerable so that, you know, we can all be there together. I think if we all did this more, I think it would be, I think we could all support each other. But the media coming forward, I think because of the platform, just the fact that it can reach so many people, it can just touch somebody. I mean... If you want to go back to representation, you can, I mean, all those little kids' faces when they saw black little mermaids, they couldn't believe it. They're like, oh my goodness, because we were so used to, you know, watching, you know, all these characters as white. And it was just the norms. We didn't think of it. So we were in shock when we see like a black little mermaid. It just shows that that representation, it really matters. And I feel like media needs to do more to show the realness of MS because I always believe that. And I feel, I actually feel like, if these researchers, these doctors see us more, it will be more of a priority. I feel like the less you see of us, the less of the priority. So I think even the neurologist that is working on Black and Asian genetics, he said that 
as young as he is, they were teaching them about MS being still a white person's disease. And that's what brought him to do his own research. So it's still in people's minds. Even they still believe that black people can take pain more than white people. These are all these perceptions. If we were shown on the media, the truth was shown, you know, I feel like it would be, it would be so much better. So media does have a big role to play, to be honest. And I think it's yeah. those, it's those things that sometimes you hear and you just think, how did someone come to this conclusion to mm-hmm. say pain medication, black people can tolerate pain a lot more. And it shows you how mm-hmm. the legacies of medical racism still exist to mm-hmm. this day. And it's something which yeah. hasn't really been addressed by the medical profession. I, ju- I just want us to move on to you now talking about your organization that you set up. And I'd love to hear from your own words, why you set up mm. the organization and mm. what are your plans with the organization? The reason why I set it up is because, well, to be honest, I was kind of like advocating just on the side when I was working as a web designer. And then a family friend said to me, oh, you know, if you want to help the community a bit more, you can just set up as a nonprofit. They can give you funding towards doing more activities and things like that. So I told my friends about the idea. So two of them are directors and we've got these plans to make it much bigger. So what I want to do is I want to get more black people with their mess involved in the organization, whether it's on the board, volunteers or staff. I want a whole load of us to be on there. So there's more ideas going forward. So basically what we're trying to do is we know that there's a gap between black people and the NHS. So we've been doing all these different events. So the next one is actually 17th of June. And it's talking about the stem cell transplant because a lot of one of the things that black people are missing out on is because they don't speak to their doctors. When they're suffering with something, they don't say anything. So even when there's new medication treatments are out there, they won't know about it because they don't speak to their doctors. So I wanted to create this safe space. So I do these events like around London at the moment and I kind of bring the medics to them instead. So I bring black people with MS into the community. They come to these events. I bring the doctors. I tell them that I choose them very carefully. I let them know because we all know that there's certain doctors. They kind of have this kind of, I don't know how to describe it. Like there's an attitude that is not welcoming. So I just, I explained to them what I, the reason why I'm asking them and I would like their support and just letting them know how vulnerable these people are. So then it creates this safe space to ask questions that they would like to ask, but they've never had the opportunity. So I'm feeling like when they know more about these treatments, they'll be in a good position to speak to their doctors and get on board on this treatment if they are eligible for it. So I want to keep doing that. I want to bridge that kind of gap that trust kind of thing because I think it was the black equity organization they said um, they did a research and they found that um, 33% of black people tend to go to community groups and charities rather than to the hospitals or you know relate to their doctors which I can see that is the truth because they want to tell us how the experiences are they want to tell us what they want to do everything is there so if I can get the doctors there and I can get them there, I can start, you know, getting the black community in other spaces. I'm not trying to have our own group where we're just by ourselves, isolated. It's kind of all our community events is for everyone. But one of the things I've said is like, um, my mum had this African channel on Sky that she loved so much. But when it went off, I think for some reason it stopped showing. But when it came back, no one knew because it was advertising on its own channel that it was back. 
But if they had contacted Sky, Sky may have gone on all the other channels to tell them that the channel was back. And that's the same way as raising awareness, not just in our own group, but for everyone to hear and see. Because if you think about it, if Black people don't see themselves in those spaces, who else will see us in those spaces? And it's funny because when it was the MS Awareness Week the other week, I started doing a fact about Black people every single day for that week. And the DMs that I got, like a lot of white people were saying, I actually did not know that black people have MS. I didn't know that black people had MS. Like, so many, more than 50 people didn't know black people had MS at all. And it just shows it there. There's nothing there to represent that we have it. So that's the reason why I brought this group on. So we're hoping to spread around London and then make our way around the country. And what are some of those facts from MS Week, which maybe you could share now? Mm. One of the facts is that when we first get symptoms, it's different from how white people get symptoms. We get the disability quicker. I think we get it more aggressively. It affects our legs more. Um, some of us, like with my one, I got um, blindness in the eye. That's the common one. Many black people will have things to do with, um, I think they have more lesions on their brain and it becomes, like I said, they get the disability a bit more. Um, so sometimes they even have symptoms that doctors don't even recognize. That sometimes contributes to them getting a diagnosis quite late. Um, another one is that they get depressed quite more because of the, because of the two aspects. Black community, the culture, culture stigmas, they don't speak, discrimination with their doctors. So they get the depression because with MS, they said that more than 50% of MS patients get depression a few weeks before they're newly diagnosed, uh, after they're newly diagnosed. So uh, black people get that more because we don't speak about our mental health. That's another fact as well. The genetic part of it that some of us get it more aggressively, more common. There was just, there was quite a few others that I had looked up that we have, but those were just a few of them. But what people were paying more attention was, I think it was just the fact that we had it in the first place. They had no idea and that we have it that much more. So it was just interesting. Even the charities were shocked, which I was shocked about. I found that strange because they, there's certain things that they didn't even know themselves. So it says a lot, really. Yeah, but then it simultaneously highlights the importance of why your organization exists and mm -hmm. the space that it occupies. And if we talk about like the future impact that you hope to have with your organization, mm -hmm. if you could be in control of like outcomes for how it goes, what would you want to achieve, let's say 10 years from now? I want to get everybody, I would like everybody who in the UK who has MS to be on the MS register. So that's not just black people alone because we need something to compare it to. So, I mean, 17,000 is still quite small when there's way more of us and we need more black people on there. I want us to even like get on board with research, you know, just educate. I want, that's why I want to really have a lot of these awareness things, because I think a lot of the reason why my aunties and uncles, they don't speak to me is because they don't know much about it. I always believe that a lot of it is religious beliefs. They just believe that, because it came to a point, they didn't even want me to see a neurologist. They just wanted me to just seek to God, God will fix it. But it's just that by coming out, you're helping somebody else who is just isolated and alone. There's so many of us living with MS. And the strange thing about it is that I don't want to say because I don't want him to get the person that I'm thinking of. I don't want it to go to him because he's not ready to talk about 
having MS. He's another one that doesn't want family and friends to know, but there's someone who I was speaking to who knows him. And he told me, I don't know anybody who have MS. And I was just thinking, you do, but you just don't know that they have. Uh, speaking to a lady in Europe, she wanted to put me on a podcast. And she's in, I think she's in the Netherlands and her friend is in Germany. And she goes, yeah, there's no black person here in Europe that has MS. And I said, there probably is. You just don't know they're there because they're not speaking about it. I have a friend in my whole friendship group that no one knows that she has MS. She doesn't want anybody to know about it. So it's just me and her who know. So Mm -hmm. there's so many of us who just keep quiet about it. And I feel everyone is on the journey, but it comes a point where we need to start looking after our health and start talking about it. So I want to get everyone to a space where they're comfortable speaking about it and getting onto research so we know more, basically. And what you've mentioned a few times about your family members and their religious beliefs, Mm -hmm. what role do you think faith plays in healthcare? This is a thing which is commonly brought up when we are discussing healthcare for the black community for minority communities that religion seems to be the place to be where people turn to. But yeah. a lot of the time it's spoken in like, I don't want to say a positive, I don't want to say a negative light, but it's spoken with certain connotations. So what role do you think it mm. has to play when we're talking about healthcare? I think it does have a big role to play, to be honest, because it's almost like a barrier to some people because people don't really speak out. When I was in that meeting, I was telling you about at King's College, there was a lady who was speaking about her Parkinson's disease. And she said she had no idea that, you know, she was black people like um, underrepresented in like, in terms of Parkinson's disease until she started speaking about it against her family's will. They told her to just like, like I said, pray, pray it away. And there's quite a few of us that, you know, if you're Jehovah's Witnesses, you know, in terms of receiving medical care, blood transfusion. One of my mom's friends, I think my mom's friend's cousin's daughter died. She needed the blood transfusion, but they're Jehovah's Witnesses. So they said no, and she died because of that. So you can see like the impact that does have. And I just always try to say to my relatives, like, you know, God has given us this knowledge. He's given us what we need to look after ourselves. I think we're going I think it's quite silly that we go to church every Sunday asking God for help and he's giving you the help and you're just not using it. That's how I see it. You know, it's all about perception. But the thing is, it's the younger generation I'm noticing who want to speak out more. The older ones, I think they need that education. And an example of this is that my mum's stepdad was meant to be following my grandma to the hospital because she had diabetes. And this was in Ghana. So my mum was calling her to tell her all about, you know, what to eat, her diet and stuff, because my mum has type 2 diabetes as well. So my mum, with the understanding that her stepdad was following her mum to these clinic appointments, you know, I thought everything was okay. But during the conversation, my grandma collapsed. She went into a diabetic shock. My grandpa, who was not going to these appointments, had no idea how to deal with that. All he needed to do was give her something sweet and she would have been here today. But rather, he rushed her to a clinic. That clinic didn't have oxygen. By the time she got to a hospital, she was already brain dead and then she passed away. This is what I'm talking about, the education part of it, because, you know, religion, I mean, we all have faith in everything, but I feel like all the, all the, the tools are there for us to help ourselves. But you can see how it has a hold on the community a lot. A lot of people do, a, you know, whatever they're told to do just for the sake of religion. So 
I don't know, it's a big barrier, I think, for people in our community, like speaking out. And I think it's something which is very hard because I've seen it in my experience in hospital that sometimes people will refuse certain treatments simply because of the word that their pastor has told them. And it can work for them. Sometimes it doesn't work for them. And it's something that I think we probably need to have more conversations about. In fact, I think just speaking out loud now, it's definitely an episode of this podcast that I want to record now to, to explore what role religion and faith has to play when we're talking about science and healthcare, because I think a lot of the time people don't believe that two things can be true at the same time. It's always either this or that instead of looking at both things is actually you can have a lot of faith in God and also trust the healthcare professional whose knowledge mm. might be God given. But mm -hmm. that's where we are at the moment. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately. <laughs> we have a closing tradition in this mm. podcast <laughs> where I like to ask people, if you could improve healthcare for your community, how would you improve it? And before you answer the question, could you define to the audience who your community is? My community is mainly black and black and brown. I said black and brown. You never know the definitions to it. It's just basically people of black heritage who have multiple sclerosis. And how would you improve healthcare for people of black heritage with multiple sclerosis if you could control all the factors in the world? I would definitely get more black doctors definitely get more black doctors involved and you know because I know there's also one of the things is like black people they always feel like there's not that trust there when they see a white doctor but there are some white doctors out there who believe that they should be doing more for the black community I like to keep those doctors on side because they're the ones that are there like I said in America they're doing quite well because they do have a lot of black neurologists and doctors in, in this area but I just have like more of them you know in different um you know, aspects, different areas, especially in MS, because even when I speak about it, you know, people just, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't say I'd know a black neurologist. I haven't seen one in the UK. I know they're out there, but I haven't seen one. So just having more black staff there so that that comfort that, you know, that you're going to be listened to. So that's what mm. I would definitely do. Hello. Thank you very much, Natalie. It's been an absolute pleasure. I personally have learned a lot and I'm sure everyone listening has learned a lot. Just before we go, if people want to find you, what's the best way they can stay in touch, find out more about your organization? Well, I'm quite active on Instagram. So it'll be at the nerve of my MS and the organization one is at the nerve of my multiple sclerosis. And the website is coming up. I think it's out now, actually. The website is live. There's just, it's the version one of their website is out. So the nerve of myms.org.uk. So I'm online, basically. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Leslie, again. Thank you and for having for me. For all of the others who are listening to the podcast, we'll be back again next week with another episode of the Mind the Gap podcast, where we specifically speak to people about healthcare issues pertaining to black and brown communities.